Please be seated. Please open your Bible, if you have one, to Ephesians chapter 6. You'll find the notes in the bulletin or on the link on our website. As you turn there, I'd like to just identify some resources. We're going to be talking about spirit-filled discipling parents, God's instructions to fathers and by implication to mothers for their children. This is a critically important task and one that the wisdom of our culture, the wisdom of our world is significantly at odds with. Um, Currently, I think it's helpful books, series um, that I can turn you to. First and foremost, I would turn you to the series we did here back in, I think, 2017 or 16 on parenting, about a nine-part series, five of which Pastor Daniel, very, very practical, hands-on how-to. I keep these by the secretary's desk. If you want CDs, they're also available online on our podcast or sermon archive site. I just ordered some books. They're not actually in the bookstore yet. They need to be brought in and put a price tag on them. But Shepherding a Child's Heart by um, Ted Tripp and Instructing a Child's Heart, really the two orbs of what we're dealing with this morning, the, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These are the two of the best books I'm aware of on this topic. I, I heartily commend them to you. Um, with that, by way of an introduction, I'll drop this off over here. Um, please, let's begin by reading Ephesians 6. I'm going to read the first four verses, as this is a unit, even though we'll really just be looking at verse 4, and then we will dive in, and then um, we'll sing another song and and have a time of communion. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and they may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Lord God, I pray that you would give us the grace to receive your word, to receive your truth, to believe it. And in particular, Lord, as you have blessed this body with so many children, Over the last few years, I just pray that you would also bless the parents and bless those who know them, that we would steward that responsibility well, that we would rear them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are looking at one verse this morning, and our outline is pretty straightforward. Uh, Our text, if you look at it, verse 4 has a don't do this, but do this. And the thing we're to do is two things. So our outline is, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but nourish them in the discipline of the Lord and nourish them in the instruction of the Lord. Pretty straightforward. And yet critical. Don't think because fathers are given one verse, somehow this instruction is less significant, less important. It is crucial. So we'll begin by looking at the negative prohibition. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, what does that mean? And this is where we've got to let the Bible inform our categories. Because I think if we were to go to modern child behaviorists, they would suggest that the primary way you provoke your children to anger is through discipline. When my wife was teaching in L.A. Unified School District, there were children with individual learning plans. And... One of them, she was told, she just wasn't to disagree with 
or um, correct or in any way challenge the child, then everything would be fine. That was the wisdom that was told to her. Why did your child lose his temper and and sort of freak out? Well, you, you didn't let him do what he wanted to do. Oh, okay. And yet, I want to suggest to you that that could not be further from the Bible's um, instruction on this topic. If you remember, turn back to Ephesians 4. I want you to notice something. You remember the, the pattern for sanctification that we studied? The pattern, how we grow, how we change, involves three axes. Verse 22, to put off the old self. Verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And verse 24, to put on the new self. So change, you you put off, you put on, you renew. And we saw that pattern play out in the following instructions in chapter 4, right? Verse 25, therefore having put away falsehood, let each one speak the truth. Let the thief no longer steal, let him work with his hands. And so what we learned was when you see these, not this, but this, not only are we getting two instructions, but We're getting instruction of how these things relate to themselves, right? They become antithetical. In other words, you can't be doing both. You can't be speaking the truth while you're lying. They're they're antithesis. Well, now in the household code, we get our first not this, but this. Another one's coming next week when we look at bond servants. It'll be not in verse 6 this way, but this way. But here is our first not this, but this. Which tells us then the relationship between provoking your children to anger and disciplining them in the instruction of the Lord are opposites. Which means whatever provoking your children to anger is, it isn't discipline and instruction of the Lord. I just want you to get that from the text. Not this, but this. He wants you not to provoke them to anger, but... To rear them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So get out of your minds any idea that provoking to anger is somehow entailed with the very thing he's telling them to do. That's not the biblical worldview. That's not the biblical understanding. Um, In fact, I want to suggest to you four ways we can provoke our children to anger biblically. I mean, not biblically, that the Bible suggests. And the very first one is by neglecting discipline and instruction. Precisely by neglecting discipline and instruction. If you keep your finger here, we're going to jump around a little bit this morning. Go to 1 Kings chapter 1. There's a remarkable parenting verse here. In 1 Kings chapter 1, we're going to read about um, Solomon getting and securing his throne. And in chapter 1, that's not certain. He has an older brother named Adonijah. And Adonijah is going to make an unsuccessful, ultimately, attempt for the throne, risking civil war. This is close to a coup. He he gathers his men. He gets his um, military leaders. And the narrator of 1 Kings gives us this wonderful insight. Look at verse 5 and verse 6. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run after him. What would cause this man to risk civil war, resist what God and his father had said it would be Solomon would be the king? Look at verse 6. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? Isn't that remarkable? 
This guy's risking civil war because his dad never challenged him. Never said, don't do that. What are you doing? He let him do what he wanted. And the narrator of 1 Kings wants us to understand the connection between a child creating strife like this and the failure of David as a parent. I'll give you another example in um, Proverbs 19, 18. We'll be looking at a lot of Proverbs this morning. But uh, yeah, why don't you turn over to Proverbs? Because we'll, you can just keep your thumb there. We'll be there for a bit um, this morning. But Proverbs 19, 18 Discipline your son for there is hope. while there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. And then 29.15. Go over to 29.15. Again, making this point. Deuteronomy 29.15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You neglect the rod and reproof. You don't get a peaceful, happy child. You get a child you're ashamed of. Verse 17. Discipline your son... He will give you rest. That's peace, right? He will give delight to your heart. So if you're tempted to think, no, discipline creates strife. It creates angry children. It creates violent children. The Bible completely disagrees. No, you get rest. You get delight. You don't discipline your kids. You don't rear them. You let them follow their heart. You let them be the authentic thems. You might give kids that start civil wars. That's the, the biblical record on this. Um, so the first point, and I think Ephesians makes this clear, because through the not this but this, is one of the primary ways we can provoke our children to wrath is through neglecting discipline and instruction, neglecting the put on. Okay? So that's my first point. Second way, I'm just, is through inconsistent discipline and instruction. I've, I've experienced this myself. I, I think the challenge here for children is when the standards change, when the rules change daily, when mother has one standard and dad has another standard, I think that's very provoking. We certainly feel provoked when our political leaders play by different rules, right? And I think for a child not knowing what the rules are, what the expectations are, what the consequences are, is provoking. This generally happens when we discipline in our own anger because we're being lazy and we don't discipline until we're annoyed. And so you overlook and you overlook and then finally, and what you're teaching the kid is as long as dad or mom's not really annoyed or unhappy, you can do what you want. And then discipline and instruction become questionable. Maybe mom or dad will do something. So be, be consistent. Listen to Proverbs 13, 24. 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. Diligence. Consistency. I know in, in my home that is the greatest challenge, is consistency. Being alert, not overlooking things, but dealing with things. Giving our children a clear, consistent set of expectations and consequences, being diligent with them, not inconsistent. A third way that I think we can provoke our children to wrath is through inappropriate discipline and instruction. Inappropriate discipline and instruction. Listen to Psalm 103 and the connection 
that the psalmist makes with the Lord God and with parents. As a father shows compassion to his child, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. How? In what way? He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So as a father has compassion on his child, God is compassionate to us in that he considers our frame. He considers what we can handle. He considers where we're at, and he meters out to us in gentleness. And so that can come in, in the form of, of what you're teaching, what you're expecting of your children. Uh, I've used this example before, but I, I do not expect Talitha, my three-year-old, to know how to unload and load the dishwasher. If she were five, that might be a different story. But and I, and I do want to pause and say, I think, even though this is, I think, a real point, obviously we don't expect our two-year-olds to know calculus, that our children are frequently more capable of things than we expect or think. I think sometimes we're, we're guilty of expecting too little. But certainly, our instruction, our discipline needs to be appropriate for where they're at. And if, if we're giving inappropriate instruction or discipline, that could be provoking. And then finally, fourth, by unrighteous discipline and instruction. By unrighteous discipline and instruction. And, and I have two things in mind here. One... Discipline and instruction in our own anger. Um, we're going to see this in a few minutes, but our, we're stewards of our children. We instruct them on behalf of the Lord. We discipline them on behalf of the Lord. It's not ultimately about me. And James chapter 1, verse 20 is clear that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What am I teaching my kids in my discipline and instruction? Perhaps some of you have had bad experiences in your childhood. I'm guessing it was because your father, your mother disciplined in their anger. What you learned is don't offend their rule, their kingship, their sovereignty. And that's wicked. Amen, that's wicked. It's not about me. It's about a living God. And so if we discipline in our anger, we instruct in our anger. But I think another form of unrighteous discipline and instruction is if we're training our kids to worship idols. Meaning, in particular, what are the things that we teach? What are the things we discipline for? I, I think it's quite possible that I teach and instruct my children so that I'm not embarrassed around people. Or I could teach and instruct my children. The primary goal is you, you need to get into a good school. You need to get good grades. Or perhaps you need to be athletically um, proficient. You need to excel at sports. Or you need to excel in music or other activities. And all of our discipline, all of our instruction is not rearing them to what Paul tells us to do, but to our own values. And when those values get raised to ultimate values, not that any of those things I mentioned are bad, but when they become the, the top standard, they become idols. And so if we discipline and instruct in serving our own goals only or primarily, I think that can provoke to wrath as well. I think the list probably could be longer, but I'll leave it there. Four ways. The most clear from the text is through not doing what we should do. And again, I just want to challenge you that God's wisdom and God's instruction absolutely conflicts with the world's on this point. It is through failing the discipline and instruct your children that you are going to provoke them to anger, that you are going to raise children that you may well be ashamed of, as the Proverbs warn Okay, so what to do, what to do. That's what we aren't to do. 
what are we to do? Nourish them in the discipline of the Lord. What the ESV translates as um, bring them up is the same word that's used in verse of chapter 5, verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So I want to bring out that notion. The idea is you feed, you care for the child. And so it's, it's a more tender term than even raise them up. This is the term Christ cares for the body, his church. So here, fathers nourish them in the discipline of the Lord. I want to pause and talk about fathers. There's some discussion among the commentators that I was reading about whether the fathers means parents. You'll notice the title says parents. I think it ultimately includes parents. But I do think Paul has specifically the father in mind. Um, grammatically, it is possible for the plural fathers to represent both parents. There's an example in Hebrews 11, speaking of Moses' parents, where that's the case. I don't think that's going on here. Precisely because Paul uses the Greek word for parents in verse 1. Children, obey your parents. And so if Paul intended to just say, parents do this, he'd have said that. He shifts to fathers. Now, I do think it ultimately means parents. Because, as we've seen, the instruction to the wife is to submit to the husband, to order herself under him. And so if this is Paul's instruction for the father, and the wife is rightly ordered under him, what's she going to do? She's going to compliment, she's going to help me, she's going to help him accomplish this task, which means ultimately it is parents. And the children are absolutely called to honor and obey both parents. But what that means then, fathers, is you have a special responsibility here. And again, the temptation can be to, to, to put the instruction, spiritual instruction especially, on the wife. God's going to hold you accountable. He's going to hold me accountable for this. This is our stewardship. Now, absolutely, make use of your wives, make use of your resources, make use of the church. But, but understand, this is something God is calling on fathers to do. And you cannot ultimately relegate this away entirely. So what is he calling on us to do? Nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to look at both these terms separately, the discipline and instruction. I think you have both halves of uh, the parenting challenge here. So I want to look at this in three points. First, this means, men, you must embrace the Lord's design. You must embrace the Lord's design. It's not just any old discipline. It's the discipline of the Lord. Okay? It's quite possible for you to discipline your kids, not with anything God said, not with anything that honors him. It might be the discipline of Dr. Phil or Oprah. You're told to raise them, to to nourish them in the discipline of the Lord. So embrace God's design. Two points here. One, this means you've got to understand yourself fundamentally that you are a steward of your children. You are a steward of your children. And a steward is has to give an account. Stewards need to be found faithful. God claims the ownership of our children. Listen to Ezekiel 16. God speaking about his shock and anger at the practice of child sacrifice. And he makes this point. You took your sons and daughters whom you had born to me. and These you sacrificed to be devoured. Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? God says they're my children. And so God gives us children, and we steward these children. 
but they're his ultimately. And that means ultimately he gets to call the shots with how we raise them. And I think our, our job as parents becomes clearer when we understand we are stewards. We don't need to get creative. We don't need to come up with our own game plan. We need to receive the instructions of our Lord and Master. We are under authority as well. Keep in mind, the children are hearing these instructions to their parents just as the parents heard the instructions to the children. Then we need to obey as faithful stewards. The other part of God's design is this. Your your children, my children, have many needs. They need food. They need love. They need education. But what they first and foremost need above all is to know the living God. And we need to make sure in our parenting that becomes the priority. And that we communicate through our time and through our energy what the most important thing is. I, this is this is a challenge for me as well. What will my parents, what will my children truly understand to be their greatest need? What if they were to think of what, what I spend the most time and attention to? What would it be? Your children's great need is to know God. Listen to Jeremiah nine twenty three and twenty four. I think you've heard this a number of times, but I want you to consider it in a new light. Thus says the Lord: Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. So here's three things you could be proud about, you could think are important, that are not wrong in and of themselves. Wisdom, might, and riches. Now flip this around. Let not the parent boast in their child's wisdom. This is the Jeremy translation. Let them not boast in their child's might and athletic prowess. Let them not boast in their child's income. Let them boast in this, that their child understands and knows the Lord. That that's the top value. Those other things, ordered rightly underneath, can be wonderful things. First and foremost, if you're going to adopt God's stewardship, understand what God cares about is that your children, his children, know him. This, This is a radical thing. Your children, the children God has given to this body, will never not be. America will not be. This earth will not be. The universe will not be. Your children will never cease to exist. They are sometimes referred to as one-way eternal. They have a moment of creation, but they will never go out of being. Never. And what we do with them and how we train and prepare them and set them for life and whether or not we introduce them and call them again and again to know the living God will have eternal significance in a way that the upcoming election just is nothing. Nothing. There's no consequence in eternity. How we steward our children, that will ring forever. Their children will never not be. Your child needs, your child's great need is to know God. So that, that's the mindset we've got to adopt. I'm a steward. I've been entrusted with the responsibility. And my child's single greatest need is to know the living God. Next, you must embrace the Lord's methods. You must embrace the Lord's Methods Again, I'm tying this to the of the Lord at the end of the verse. The discipline of the Lord. The instruction of the Lord. The discipline that God talks about. 
This is, again, where the wisdom of our world is at odds. Uh, The Bible makes a couple of assumptions. And I want to make a point that probably is the most directly countering uh, what you may think and what the world says, and that's this. Physical discipline has a spiritual effect. The Bible insists on this at multiple points. You remember our series from the spring. We are composite beings. We are spirit Physical beings, we are a union, a psychosomatic whole. And our spiritual life can affect our physical life and vice versa. And so we can be tempted to think that we've moved beyond corporal punishment, physical discipline. That that's something ignorant people in the past did. And the Bible insists there's a connection. And so the challenge then, if we're going to rear our children, is what does God tell us to do? And if you just read through the Proverbs, it's clear It's clear. The Bible assumes, I'll make a couple of points here under this, that our children are born sinful. One of the reasons why our culture can can really wrestle with any form of discipline is they want to say that children are born innocent. They want to insist children are born innocent. But Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And I'll tell you, every one of my kids, no one had to teach them how to look to see if mommy or daddy wasn't there. They, they figured that out all on their own. No one had to teach my children how to strike each other when they're angry. And we just j- laugh at it because of how impotent they are. Now, I'll give you an example Paul Washer gives. You, you've seen a child, they want something, they're reaching for maybe your watch, or they're reaching for something on the table. You say no, and you push their hand away. And then they swat at you. And we think that's cute because of how weak and powerless they are. And Paul Washer says, if that child in that moment possessed the strength and the faculties of a grown adult, make no mistake, they would slay you where you stand and walk over your dead body to get that watch. Now, they may regret that in five seconds. But make no mistake, it's, it's only cute because of how powerless they are. But you think of those seeds in the heart full grown, not restrained. So the Bible insists, no, they're born sinful. And the other point is this. Folly, which is bound up in the heart of a child, is a moral category. And according to the Bible, the fool says there is no God, Psalm 14.1. So folly is not just silly buffoonery. It can include that, but it's actually a moral category of the godless. And so if folly is bound up in the heart of the child, Proverbs 22.15, the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And again, the Bible is making a connection between a physical matter and a spiritual result. That's what God's word says. And the the rationale is this. You can't reason with a fool. You can't reason with a fool. Proverbs 26, verse 7 says this. um, Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Now, there's two parts with the children. There's, There's discipline and there's instruction. And there are times where our children are not being fools. And we can reason with them. And we can instruct them. And we can put wisdom out in front of them. But we've all seen that folly. I don't want to. No. And and when we begin reasoning with them, we're not responding rightly. Like a lame man's leg. Where is it? Um, Like a... 26.7, there it is. Like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of fools. And so what you learn is you deal with that folly through discipline. 
And God insists that discipline, and, and I know we can use other methods, but understand, biblically, the center tool, the bread and butter, the, the baseline, is physical discipline. God insists it has a spiritual result. I don't know how that works, but listen to um, Proverbs 20, verse 30. Blows that wound clean away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. You take it up with the author. More than four or five times I can find that the, the Proverbs in particular insist, but I think you'll see even God in the New Testament insists, that there's a connection between discipline and a spiritual result, spiritual realities. And Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, um, no, 23, sorry, 23. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Just take God at his word. There's a physical discipline and a spiritual result. There's, there's a connection there. There's a relationship. It's maybe counterintuitive to our modern sensibilities. But the challenge here then is, are you going to rear your children in the discipline of the Lord or the discipline of the wisdom of the age? Wisdom of Dr. Phil and Oprah. Because the instruction is the discipline of the Lord. And if we're going to do that, we need to turn to his word and see what he tells us to do. So, physical discipline has a spiritual effect. Point two, biblical discipline is loving. Now, probably the most common reason I'll hear from parents on why they don't discipline is love. I love my kids too much. I, I don't think you do. You have strong feelings that are powerful. I don't know if I'd rightly call those love. Because Proverbs 13, turn, turn to Proverbs 13, 24. I want you to see this. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So when you say you spare the rod because you love your son, and God says, no, I'm going to believe God, not you. Let me me tell you how I think that works. Hatred biblically is not, I want you to die. That, that tends to be murder. Think of the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. What's the epitome of loving your neighbors yourself? It's the guy who stops and he cares for the man. What's the opposite of loving your neighbor? Just walking on by. I can't be bothered. I got places to go. Plug that into parenting. I got things to do. Work to be done. TV to watch. My child needs some correction. Am I going to love him? Or am I going to say, I can't be bothered, it's not a big deal? And then we flatter ourselves. After all, I'm just being loving. No, you're, you're hating. And that inconsistent discipline is precisely what's going to provoke them to anger. Biblical discipline is loving. Listen to Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. 
Fathers who delight in their sons discipline them, and the Lord does the same thing. That's, that's what Scripture says. And I'm not telling you exactly how that plays out, how that meters out, what the best way to do that is. I'm just making the point. This isn't some fringe technique or tool that you bring out four times in your life as a parent. This is the bread and butter, middle of the road, Other things can come in as well. But only this has this type of promise. Grounding doesn't carry this type of promise. Timeouts don't carry this type of promise. We can use those things to supplement. But I think in many cases, we completely replace what God tells us to do with its promises for other things. So physical discipline is loving. C, point C, and here's why, why this, another reason why this matters. Not only does it have this promise of a spiritual effect, but it also, you must display the Lord's character. Because God intends, especially you fathers, God intends for your children to learn something about God from you. You are, after all, their first father. And so later, when they learn from Scripture that God says, I am a father to you, they're supposed to transfer some of those things they've learned. You're supposed to model accurately fatherhood. And therefore, we discipline because God disciplines. Turn to to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Where this connection is made explicitly. We are to imitate and model our fathers, or that our children learn something true about God from us. Hebrews 12, verse 4 In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. Then he quotes Proverbs. And says this, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have endured. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's the world the author of Hebrews is writing in. Sadly, that question today, they're all, this All sorts of sons and daughters, right? That's how far our culture and the assumptions of the culture have moved. The author of Hebrews says, I mean, after all, what son is not disciplined by his father? And he goes on to make a further statement. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If God doesn't discipline you, it means you're not his kid. But we don't discipline because we love too much. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers. Now, here's going to make the connection between the earthly father and God. This is where fathers, we're supposed to model something. You want to make this argument hold true. You want this argument to work, and it doesn't work if we're not being faithful in our responsibility. Besides this, we all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. You can imagine some children today reading this passage and scratching their head. What are you talking about? 
My parents let me do whatever I wanted. I liked it. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Oh, look, discipline results in a spiritual consequence. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines them like a father disciplines a son whom he delights in. And we prepare our children for the God they will meet, the God we hope they will come to know by modeling his character to him, which means if you neglect discipline, you distort their picture of who God is. God is holy. God has a law. God has commandments. And God doesn't count to two and a half. God doesn't give you seven warnings. I mean, he might, but there's no promise he will. What are we teaching our kids about God? Because that's the whole point. We're supposed to set this up so these arguments make sense. So we discipline our children according to God's wisdom for his purposes, ultimately preparing them to know God as their father. If you neglect this, you need to distort God. Let's get to the second half of this, and i got to pick up pace with many miles to go this morning. And you can go turn back to that series, in particular the ABS by Pastor Daniel, for practically, okay, how do I do that? How do I work through that? There's a lot of good, helpful material there. The other part, the instruction. The instruction. I, I focus more on the discipline because that's the part that's most under attack and most at odds with our culture and worldview. The other half is equally as important, fathers. Mothers, parents, nourish them, feed them in the instruction of the Lord. You must feed your children God's word. Turn to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the great Shema. This is uh, the declaration of God's monotheism. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Fathers, mothers, God wants you talking about his word pretty much all the time with your kids. I don't think this is a command we can do too much of. You must feed them God's word. We also get a horrifying picture of what happens when we don't. You go read the book of Judges, and Joshua and the people, they disperse, they set up um, the land. And then in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, 
Then all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, who did, listen to this, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That is terrifying. That means that within a generation or two, I don't know the time frame, how much time passed, but it can't be much. You go from people who literally saw the walls of Jericho fall, the Jordan split, to children who don't know the Lord, which if that was all it said, you could just think, okay, they don't know him personally, or the work that he'd done for Israel. They don't know about the exodus from Egypt. They don't know about the walls of Jericho falling down. They don't know about the pillar of fire and the manna. The utter failure of Israel to teach their kids who God was. And that is meant to introduce for us and set up for why the chaos and the insanity of the book of Judges. They didn't know. They hadn't been taught. So we need to teach our children. Next, point B. And turn, the final passage you can turn to is uh, First Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. We'll close here. We'll sing our song. Prepare for time of communion. 2 Timothy 3, you must evangelize them. You must call them to know God. Don't assume your children are Christians. They don't come into this world Christians. I only know of a salvation by faith. And so Paul tells Timothy this. But as for you, 3.14, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood... You've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We need to again and again call our children to faith and repentance, which again is why discipline is so important because when you actually deal with sin, what are you doing? And every time you're dealing with sin, your child is being shown their need, the sin in their heart. They're, they're being taught that there's a God who deals with sin. And as they confess, you're bringing them to the cross. And in our household, we, the pattern's always, when we're faithful, it's always the same. The child will recognize what they've done. Will go, and then they ask for forgiveness. And then there's restoration. Because Every time we discipline, every time we deal with sin, there's another gospel opportunity. Or you can make a standard your kids can meet and the child can grow up thinking they can keep your law, so why couldn't they keep God's law? You must evangelize. I mean, you do that precisely through discipline and instruction of the Lord. And point C, finally, you also need to equip them to apply God's word in life. How to live in accordance with Scripture. How to size the world up. You can talk about forming a biblical worldview, but that's the next two verses. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The man of God may be competent, complete, equipped for every good work. That, that's how you succeed as a parent. Your child knows God. Your child has received the fundamental commandment to honor and obey their parents. I don't care what else your child can do. If they can't do that, it's failure. It's failure. God disciplines us as well. I'm going to call the worship team up. And the good news in all discipline is no matter what we've done, no matter how we've sullied ourselves, God never rejects. He never despises a broken spirit. If we can but confess, repent, 
He is, according to 1 John 1, 9, faithful to forgive. My kids, over and over, we forgive, we restore, we cry, we rejoice. And as we come to the Lord's table in a few minutes, I want to sing this song that celebrates that truth and give you some time, while, even while you're singing, to check your own heart. There is ready forgiveness available if you will confess. There's ready forgiveness if you will ask for it from God. Please stand as we sing a broken spirit and a contrite heart.